welcome to JudgeCast. This is Sean Catanese from Sacramento, California, DCI certified judge. And I'm Ricky Hayashi from, well, I don't know where I'm from anymore. You don't know where you're going? You don't know where you're from? No. Well, I think we all know where you're going, Ricky. Some people don't know yet. Okay, well. Some people don't have the wonders of Facebook. Okay, so I've alluded to it, but let's actually get it out in the open. Yes. You are moving. I am moving from California to Virginia, which I understand was one of the original 14 colonies of the United uh, States. Thir- 13. Thir- 13. 13, sure. That's unlucky, though, so we'll round up to 14. Okay. Well, we'll, well Virginia got split into two eventually, so there you go. Right. There's West and, and original. And original. <laughs> Crispy. <laughs> So, uh, and the reason I'm moving to Virginia is I got a job in the Star City. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Um, in Star, Star City Games, mm-hmm. I got a job as an event specialist, is the job title. It means I get to be understudy to Jared Silva and Nicholas Saban, two excellent judges. Running um, all the 10K weekends. Yeah. Among other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of the day job is in the store sorting and shipping stuff out because that's what ultimately pays the bills is the store selling cards. Sure. So day to day in the week, but on the weekends I get to travel and, and do magic. All right. So magic is going to be your full-time real life job now. Finally. Right. Well, this is what you've, <laughs> you've been working toward this for, for years though. I mean, it's a, it's been a goal. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, or it's, a dream it's a, or right, whatever you want to call it. That's a dream job, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know. If, I mean, we saw Luis get there first. Yeah, by Luis got there. You know the the thing with star, uh, superstars, Channel Fireball. Winning a pro tour didn't hurt. Sure, but that's not. I don't. Do you? Would you consider that a job if you win a tournament? I mean, a pro tour is forty k for first, minus if you have splits or whatever taxes. Oh, yeah. People were complaining about San Diego. Let me tell you. Yeah. I guess uh, the governor took his fair share of people's winnings. Poker, I think, you could consider it a job. Well, yeah. You look at David Williams' Williams Facebook profile photo is him in front of stacks and stacks of... Uh, Well, even even like grinders. Mm, I think look at it as a job. Like, not even tournament grinders, but just kind of you play online poker and you have like 10 tables up. And you play mm-hmm. for eight hours, and you know you log your winnings, and that's your job. I guess. Magic doesn't really work that way um, as a player. I'm kind of glad that it doesn't, though, because I mean, yeah, that means there aren't very many jobs out there to be had, but it also means that it's still a game. At its heart, it's still a game where people are doing it because they want to have fun, not because they want to right. And that's you know, grind people, somebody else into dust. You know, many poker players who have come back have come back not for the money, but because they like the game. Mm-hmm. You know, Gabe Walls. Yeah, seeing uh, the Dave, same. Dave Williams, you mentioned. I believe I saw something that said he's going, Dave Williams is missing uh, the World Series of Poker, or at least, you know, some of the events to attend Pro Tour San Juan or Amsterdam. I don't remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. So I believe he, it. Yeah. he loves magic enough that he's willing to miss some tournaments that could make him some money. You know, significantly more money than a pro tour. Right, he's willing to incur an opportunity cost to play. Yeah, yeah. so that you're absolutely right that it's the love of the game. Okay, well, so you have a great love for the game, and 
you're moving on to Star City Games yeah. as an employee so there. So when, when you said Star City, it's funny. I, was, I looked it up on Wikipedia. Roanoke, Virginia, where they're based out of, mm-hmm. Star City is actually the nickname of Roanoke. Right. Because there's a large, uh, it's like the world's largest illuminated star. Man-made star, man-made yeah. star is sitting on top of this mountain, mm-hmm. which was kind of cool. And then the other nickname, the older nickname before they built the star in like the 40s was Magic City. Mm-hmm. So it's all very eerily fitting. I'm yeah. trying to get used to it. Well, so what happens to JudgeCast when you move? That's what everybody on Facebook has been asking. Everybody. Well, we tried comments. to set up what happens to JudgeCast. And it'll actually happen too because this is by no means your last episode with us. At least I hope not. I mean, you're not moving and when you say us. I. With us, us being the royal we of Judge Cast. <laughs> but, but we tried to set up an us, is what I'm saying. Right, right. We're actually looking at uh, bringing other other people in here um, from time to time and also on a regular basis. Um, so we're going to have intermittent guests of hopefully Ricky coming back you know, via Skype and other means. Um, and then also we're going to have Jose Bovida coming in on a pretty regular basis, I think. Uh, our, you know, One of our local judges here. You um, say Skype, I say the Matrix. <laughs> right. Right. You'll get your audio to us somehow, um, uh, similar to how Conley Woods does it for Monday Night Magic. You know, occasionally he's there and talks about whatever he has to talk about. And, you know. He's mostly an ass to them. <laughs> well, hopefully you're not that to us. <laughs> so no more writing at Channel Fireball. No more writing for a while, it sounds like. But working your butt off, enjoying well, I, a full-time I'm, magic job. I'm gonna be writing. I'm gonna be writing judge articles. Is what I'm gonna do. I think. So developing the community. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds. Just I mean, like I already that. have one that's been in on my computer for a while, mm-hmm. and I just need to finalize it. Do we get a preview on the topic at least? It's you know the topic. It's on deck check trios. Oh, so that's a, right. A variation on how we do deck checks. That's right, and I. I uh, Heartily approve that model. I yeah. think it's a really interesting one. Uh, we'll, we'll maybe discuss it a little bit more when the article comes out and, and talk a little bit about the process of how we do deck checks. But yeah, that could be a that could be a good topic. Yeah. Um, also, I've been thinking about the possibility of you know writing a book or an ebook or whatever. You're going cheaping on us. Sure. Why okay. not? All right. Uh, this seems like a good kind of breaking point. In my life. It is. You know, moving is. across the country, starting a new job that's focused on magic. And so I think I'll take a lot of notes on this process and see if I can develop it into an interesting narrative. So, we've talked a lot about your transition, but you can't leave yet. We have lots and lots of messages I can't, to get no, to. I can't leave for a while. Yeah, not, not until stuff to take care of. early July, I think it is, right? Well, the ironic thing is that I have to stay till at least the end of June because I signed up for the Star City Open in St. Louis and already booked my flight from Sacramento. So we have lots of rules questions from folks that are curious about a lot of things that have happened because, again, we've been off the air for a little while here. Um, that's my fault for taking so long to edit the last episode. I've been gone a lot. Yeah. So we have, um, but we have a lot of questions to get to. We also have other non-rules questions, non-rules comments and things that people have sent us. We also have our contest. We want to wrap up this this contest that we've run about uh, people sending us their stories about calling a judge and having it not work out for them, um, but calling a judge 
so that it won't work out for them, even though it may not be to their advantage. So we've got those stories. Um, and then we hopefully can start a new contest. Now, you're just going to leave me with this box of shards block packs so I can send these out, right? Sure, I can do that. Okay, I fantastic. Can leave you some Zendikar product, too. Woohoo! I just got myself some boxes. Mm. Let's go into our rules questions that we have. Yeah. yeah. There was much rejoicing. And there was much rejoicing. Let's rejoice over this question from Frankie G. That's really what he says his name is Frankie G. <clears throat> Hey guys, I have a question about Rapid Flames. I think I may have lost a match at the pre-release due to my own boneheaded misinterpretation of this card. Um, and actually, Frankie G, uh, I'll cut to the chase. Uh, yeah, you did. But here's the here's your question. We'll go into why why it's a boneheaded error. So Rapid Flames deals one damage to each of up to three target creatures, and those creatures can't block this turn. Frankie G casts it, targeting two of my opponent's walls and one of his spawn tokens, which, if it allowed to resolve, would allow his monsters to get through and he'd, yeah. he'd be Blocker able to win. Right, blockerless and he'd win. In response, his opponent sacrificed his token uh, just to give some stupid effect. It doesn't really matter what he did. He just sacrificed to the token make mana, to perhaps. make mana to do something. <laughs> well, right, it doesn't matter what he used the mana for. Um which won't actually change the outcome of the blocks and attacks that he's hoping to set up here. But his opponent argues that, well, now that one of your targets is illegal for your Rapid Flames, your Rapid Flames fizzles, again, using that word that we don't like to hear, fizzles, and you don't get to make my walls unable to block your creatures this turn. And eventually, because of this, mm -hmm. Frankie G says he lost the match. Well... That rapid flames should have resolved. That's the the correct answer to this question. So, do you want to talk about why it should have resolved? Because a spell is only countered upon resolution mm -hmm. if all of its targets are illegal. Right when it tries to resolve. And we used to run into this back when Lorwyn was the the main block of the set. Cryptic Command. Exactly. That was the where, where I was going with that. Where Cryptic Command uh, has so many modes there where... Some target, some don't. Right. I think the tap all creatures your opponents control doesn't... doesn't uh, doesn't target and well, who knows? Draw a card. textless now. <laughs> right. Draw Wait, a card. Why target. did you make this card textless? I will never understand that. It's also not the best textless art, like some random uh, merfolk okay. hand. I don't it's know. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, I, I like the original better. I see where you're going. But yeah, I think the whole jar opening up. That's I like that better. I think that all the jars opening up for each of the commands was pretty nice. It's just. I think most people knew what Cryptic Command did, but with that spell specifically, mm -hmm. sometimes the order of the modes could matter. Oh, absolutely, because you perform people, them. People didn't, might not have remembered the order of the modes. Well, imagine if they did Primal Command, textless also. Cause oh, because that one, yeah. The, they really... The, Shuffling the graveyard and putting something on top, like what order you do them in, matters right. a lot. Right, and just so, so people are clear on this, you perform, if you have a, a spell with two modes, like all these commands... You perform them in the order they're printed on the card. You don't get to choose which yeah, order you yeah. do them in. So, you know, you actually need to put the thing on top of the library with Primal Command before you shuffle, shuffle the library and graveyard right. together. Um, same thing you know, with, with Cryptic Command. Because you have two of the modes that target and two of them that don't, 
you know, you can counter target spell, or you can bounce target permanent, or you can draw a card or tap a bunch of creatures. Well, drawing a card doesn't target. Tapping creatures doesn't target. Bouncing something targets, and countering something targets. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if we're to choose the two modes that target, and one of those targets becomes illegal, for instance, you're going to bounce something and counter a spell, well, if they somehow make the bounce target illegal, they're still going to counter the spell. It still has a legal target. It's going to do as much as it can as it's resolving. Correct. But if I'm countering a spell and drawing a card, and then in response you counter your own spell to you know make it an illegal target, well then... No card draw. No card draw, right. Because the spell is countered upon resolution. <laughs> or, you know, we used this, to... This, I think the most relevant set of modes for this interaction was when you needed to tap down their creatures. Mm-hmm. And, for example, the optimal play would be to, say, bounce something as well. Right, because then they've got to replay it, yeah. and yeah, you go through that. But sometimes you would be afraid to do that. Right. You, because you, if, they get, if they get rid of the, like, if they lightning bolt their own creature that you're trying to bounce, mm-hmm. then Cryptic Command is countered, and you don't tap everything down. Right. So, so it's you better. would have to, like, draw a card instead. Right. Even though strategic or tactically slightly worse. Right, but you're, the correct you're guaranteeing play. the resolution yeah. of it instead. So okay. Rapid Flames, to get back to this card, I like this card, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really solves a lot of the problems of this format being so defender-heavy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you can't play aggro. Well, this helps you play aggro. Um, but yeah, you target three creatures. Oh, up to. So, you, so really, he didn't even... If he was afraid... Because of his misunderstanding, he could have, in theory, not targeted the token. Well, I think he wanted it out of the way for blocking sure. also. Just, just saying. Yeah. But yeah, three. if you have three targets, one of them becomes illegal because it's sacrificed. You still have two legal targets. It does as much as it can, which is to deal one damage to those two and say they can't block. Okay. Are well, you worried at all that the opponent knew this? And... Perhaps cheated. You know, I think it's a genuine misunderstanding. I I think it's common enough misunderstanding. I think it's a common misunderstanding because people are used to, you know, other people messing with their spells, trying to get them to fail, fail to resolve properly. Um, I think people are used to those sorts of interactions. And um, if it, it, you know, that said, if there was any sort of shadiness, if somebody really did think. You know, well, he doesn't know anything better, so I'll just do this and tell him this is how it works. That's outright fraud. And, you know, that's something that's a, a very serious sort of infraction. But it's not something that I would... Uh, is there any way that you could imply, like, sacrifice your token and try to imply that you've done this? Not if you know the rule. <laughs> you well, shouldn't no, I'm saying if you know the rule... Okay. Is there a way you can construct a phrasing where you're not lying to them, but somehow convincing them that their attack will fail? Uh, you can try wording it such that they. I mean, you still... could just sack the token, right? And you kind could, of like shrug. You could word it such that they're not led to believe that your walls are not legal to block right. with. Sure, like say sack the token and then kind of push your two walls forward, like you're getting ready to block or something. Yeah, that that would be legal. Sure, sure, that's legal. But if they ask, you know, so that's got one damage on it, and that's got one damage on it. Yeah, you know, they you've got to answer that truthfully. Sure. 
or you know, so the spell resolves. Right, and yes. keep, keep in mind that this is at a pre-release, also. Yeah. Now, if this is nonverbal communication, it's probably harder to suss that out, suss that interaction out, and say, well, what do you mean by doing this? But because it's a pre-release, it's a regular rules enforcement level event, and all that sort of derived information is free. And if they have some sort of a question about that, they need to have that question answered fully and truthfully. Mm. You know, it can't be some sort of partial half-truth sort of thing you can get away with at a PTQ. So that's something that, um, you know... Would you try that at a pre-release? No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. That's um, not particularly sporting, although it could be an interesting thing to do. Um, no, I, I would probably not, not even test those waters myself. It's just not the kind of player I am, mm-hmm. which is probably why I, I don't never... think I would push the walls forward, but I'd probably sack the token because if it's going to die anyway. Oh yeah, no, I'd sack the token. I would do that, but I wouldn't try to imply that they would be able to block it. But you that. wouldn't volunteer the information, would you? Would you say, okay, I sacked the token and now these guys can't block? Or would you just sack the token and not say anything? At a pre-release, I would actually tell them that they can't block. Um, and this is for, for a couple reasons. Uh, one, as a judge, playing in an event like that, you have a certain obligation to be always teaching, mm-hmm. I think. And if there's any feeling that I have that a player that I'm playing against is confused is confused or doesn't know what's going on or isn't sure about how something works. I want them to figure that out and mm-hmm. I want to be as clear as possible. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell them how to play their game. I'm not going to tell them how to, you know, best choose the three creatures they're targeting or whatnot, but I will tell them very frankly what happens. And I think that's sort of a different standard that judges sort of need to hold themselves to uh, where you can't be too spikish, you can't be too competitive at a regular rules enforcement level event. I think once you get to a competitive rules enforcement level event, the expectation goes out the window because you are there to do a very different sort of thing. You're there to compete, not to have fun and learn. There's a and teach. You know that's a very different sort of situation. Um, now, if I go X and three. You know, at my PTQ and I'm down at the bottom tables and the kids are there just having fun. Yeah, I'll probably, you know, switch back into that mode of teaching um, if I'm playing also. Um, But, yeah, if I'm actually competing, then I'm actually competing. And what do you think? Would you do that? Well, I'm I'm I have a very, very poker faced, you know, Mm -hmm. when I play, I'll just kind of stare at my opponent. And wait for stuff. So I might just sack the token and just see what happens. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing to do. Um, just not probably what I would do in that situation. Okay. Like I'm staring at you right now. Poker face. Okay, we're moving on to the next question now. <laughs> <laughs> next question, next question. Let's see here. <sighs> Tim. Tim... Doesn't say where he's from. Well, Tim, wherever you're from, this is your question. I'm going to guess that he is from Missouri. That's a guess. I have no idea if it's anywhere near accurate or not. Um, so let's, let's... Tim from Missouri. Please proceed. It's an it that betrays question. Another Wait. 
Is this the same one? It's not what? the same one. This one has spore frogs in it. I don't know what that is. Spore frog? Spore frog is an amazing little critter. It's a fog on a stick. But it's like oh, an is this edible. The original? It's the original fog on a stick oh, yeah, that's yeah, like an edible guy. frog on a stick. It's just a green for a 1 1 creature frog sacrifice. Spore right. frog. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn. It's a frog fog. Tim says. My opponent controls Shirei Shizo's caretaker. Now that's, that's the Kamigawa right from black Kamigawa. thing that uh, it's a legendary creature. When something isn't it like Lifeline? It's something like Lifeline. It's also something like it that betrays. Whenever um, a creature with power one or less is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. If Shirei Shizo's caretaker is still on the battlefield. Okay, so that's what that does. It's a long ability. Right. So he has that in play. That's his, I'm sorry, Tim's opponent has Shirei in play and three Spore Frogs. Tim attacks his opponent with It That Betrays, and he sacrifices two of them to the Annihilator trigger, and he sacrifices the third Spore Frog to its own ability. So that fogs. Prevents all the damage that it that betrays does. And now he's got two spore frogs that he's just sacrificed to Annihilator and one spore frog to its own ability. And it that betrays is thinking, mm, getting some spore frogs. Right? If you had two it that betrays, would you call them them that betray? I might, yes. Okay. I might. <laughs> I said, yes, I would probably do that. That sounds like a pretty... (laughs) Yes. Yes, you take three spore frogs. So uh, Tim here gets all three of the spore frogs to himself. And now he's actually wondering what happens at the beginning of the end step. Because Shirei is still in play under his opponent's control. And Shirei is looking for spore frogs in the graveyard and can't find them. So... Is that just too bad for Shirei? Yes. Okay. For him, her, it, mm-hmm. it that's looking in the graveyard doesn't right. find them. Right. Can't find them because they're not there anymore. They're new objects in a new zone. Because this specifically looks, it's as when they're put into your graveyard. Yeah. Unlike the whole sacrifice confusion. Absolutely. That's this true. is a zone change trigger that looks for them in a specific zone. If they're not there at an appropriate time... Tough luck, uh, because when stuff changes zones, they're considered new objects. They have no recollection of their former lives. Right. The spore frogs on the other side of the battlefield say, that wasn't us. That was some other spore frogs that looked like us. Right, right. Okay, well, let's go on to our next question here. This art is freaky. What, for spore frog? No, Shirei. Oh, yeah. Shirei's got a pretty badass art. Little ghost and stuff. Go, yeah, ghost that's carrying things in a graveyard. Okay. So now we have a question about two-headed giant. You want to get into this? It just changed. It did just change, and that's what this question's about. Oh, this question is... That's very convenient, Sean. This comes Are from... Are you emailing yourself? Not unless my name is Heath, no. 
This is Heath, who, who has emailed us in the past with his questions. He's a regular listener, regular question submission person. Keith asks us, I know that originally, if a card asks for a person's life total in Two-Headed Giant, you split the teams in half and round it up. That was the number. Recently, I've read in multiple different articles that now it's just not just the team's life, no splitting it in half. I've not, able, I've not been able to find this in the comprehensive rules, but if it's true, I really want to know because Feldar Sarvan seems like it would be broken. Well... Keith, your rumors that you've been hearing, the articles you've been reading. This is, this is disappointing personally to me because these two-headed giant life total questions mm -hmm. were commonly missed. Absolutely. They were a commonly On missed judge exams. judge exams. I remember and I got to be like, I got to say to people, like, make sure you study your two-headed giant. <laughs> Right. But now like there's nothing to study anymore. Right. That was the big thing. Very simple. Uh yes, the team's total is each individual player's total. If they if there's a card that needs to know that, for instance, Philadar Sovereign saying, Yes, the team is at forty life, so you are at forty life and you win or whatever. Yeah, no more of this split in half round up and Right, none of that. I see again, I love the whole rounding up thing because people would ask do you round up or round down? And I say, well, what do you think? What if the team's at one? Mm -hmm. Like, are you at zero or one? Like, probably one. Right. Okay, then you should round up. Well, and the, when Mark Gottlieb explained this in and, his And comp, the reason, yeah, the comp rules were updated like several weeks after the change was announced, I think. And there may not even be in the comp rules update. I, I think it may just be um, an official statement on how this works now and it'll be in the comp rules in the next update i need to that look doesn't into make that sense. I, I think that's how it was initially portrayed though it was initially set up as you know mago said this in an article or mark rosewater said in an article somebody said it in an article and uh explained it and for the pre-release that's how things had to work mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily in the comp rules anywhere but that's how it worked anyway um well it's a good thing the head judge of the tournament is the final authority Right. <laughs> it's like, but it says in the comp rules. But I say so because I'm the head two. judge. Right. Well, so um, for proof, yeah, you'd actually just look to Mark Gottlieb's article. Um, and yes, it is. Um, that is how it works now. Um, and when the comp rules citation comes out or changes, I'm, not, I'm really not sure that it's actually there. Um, though, actually, I guess this... In the intervening time since since the pre-release, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's it's probably been adopted. I need to go check. I'll just cut this part out. Anyway, we have um, that question there from Heath, and yes, it really does work. And one neat thing that Mark Gottlieb mentions in his article about this, uh, for those of you who don't know who Mark Gottlieb is, he is the rules manager for Wizards. He basically anything having to do with the rules that you want to see changed, send Mark an email. Mm -hmm. He's commonly known as Mago because it's Mark Gottlieb instead of Mark Rosewater, who's known as Maro um, and others. So, yeah. He's my creature type nemesis. That's right. He keeps changing creature types on people. I'm so tired. And it's not just changing them. It's like adding some really esoteric creature types. Well, like Darcy Colossus used to be a construct. No, it's not a construct. What is so it now? Is he like it's a, a giant? He's a golem, I think. I, I'm just... I was disappointed because you know, now my construct tribal deck doesn't have him in it anymore. You don't have a construct. He's a golem. Yeah, he's a golem. He used to be a construct. 
Well, back when that was the case, I actually put him in the construct tribal deck uh, for because it uses metal worker and mm-hmm. uh, voltaic construct and others to you know make tons and tons of mana. It was an interesting deck, but uh, now you know Darksteel Colossus just doesn't fit anymore, which is a shame. So anyway, going back to the two-headed giant life total question. He mentions in there that one of the cards that led to this change uh, was from Rise of the Eldrazi, which is near-death experience, hmm. which is the if your life total is one, you win on your upkeep. Okay. Well, that works if the team, under the old rules, that would work if the team was at two or one. Sure. And that yes. just didn't make intuitive sense to him. Okay. Again, we're getting into this this intuition question that I know... We've been round and round on it. And near-death experience was cited as, hey, like these are the kinds of cards we can make now that we don't have mana burn. Right, right. That's a kind of a neat thing, I think. I'm kind of happy to see that. It, it, it cuts both ways because um, reverse sand is now worse without mana burn. Mm-hmm. So it's a give and take. And I really like reverse the sands. Yeah, reverse the sands. Neat card. It, in, in Kamigawa Sealed, it was a huge bomb. I mean, at the end of your turn, if your opponent starts tapping their lands and mana burning, you're just like, oh, crap. Right. Okay, we have a question here on the new leveler cards from Rise of the Eldrazi. Skill borrower doesn't work. That's not the question. Okay. Uh, Experiment Kraj does work. That's not the question either. Okay. The question is, Avon Mimeomancer. <laughs> Remember who Avon Mimeomancer is? Yeah, yeah. It's... He puts a feather token on things, and then they become three ones. Yeah. How neat is that? <laughs> Not very neat. Okay, well, I kind of liked him, but... Really? Yeah, he's kind of cool. He's really dorky. Well, yeah, but you can, like, turn like, things... why are they three ones? Well, with flying, though, too. Like, you what can... bird... It's like iconically three one. I don't know. That's that's not the thing. Is that you're taking a new, taking an existing creature and you're turning it into this thing. So you know your Eldrazi spawn token can get a feather token, and now it's a three one flyer. Yeah. Or you or know, Emrakul. Or Emrakul can like, be reset to a three one flyer. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Giant Eldrazi with three little teeth. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we have this question here about even Mimeomancer and Levelers. So let's just pick a random leveler that gets up to some giant number, say uh, Student of Warfare. Gets okay. up to some large number, uh, larger than 3-1. Uh, so he's, let's say a Student of Warfare maxed out on the levels is, what, a 5-5 five, five double strike? You should have picked something that you know. I don't know anything. We've established this. Student of Warfare... Becomes a four four double strike. Four four double strike at level seven plus. Okay, so did you read that article about the levelers? Mark Rosewater's article, I think it was. It's I, I don't like those theme weeks they do over at the mothership. It was very interesting because mentions all of the little why this, why that, and why does it say level seven plus? It's because they didn't want people to get confused if you somehow. I don't know, like through clock spinning. Or venerated teacher. You put two more yeah. counters on everything. It's, like, it's got eight counters. Like, what does that mean? Right. Before they added the plus. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. So, say you have Student of Warfare maxed out to level seven plus. 
Uh-huh. And then he gets a feather counter from Avian Mimeomancer. Okay. What happens? What is this creature now? The 3-1 double strike flyer. Okay. That's correct. Um, now, the question is, you know, if we change the order of that, does that change? For instance, if it gets the feather counter when it's a lowly 1-1. One, one, so then, let's explain why. This okay. is both abilities set the creature's power and toughness. So that means that they apply in layer 7B of all the layers that were used to determine the aspects of an object. Right. I'm still used to it being layer 6, but... Right. <laughs> you kids these days. <laughs> power and toughness. Seven layers. Right. Seven, seven layers. Are you hungry all of a sudden? <laughs> I'll take a burrito, please. Yes. <laughs> Um, so they apply in layer 7B because of power and toughness setting abilities and Correct. they apply in timestamp order. Ka-chink. Right. That's so that means that the sound. first one gets applied and then the second one gets applied. Okay. But the interesting thing, I think the thing that would confuse people, you mentioned, what if, what if it gets a feather counter and then you level it up mm-hmm. from six to seven, right? From a three, three to a four, four, right? Usually. It's still a 3-1. Okay. Because the timestamp of this this level up thing, ability, is set not when you level it up, but when the the permanent enters the battlefield. It's not set when it gets the counter. When it gets the seventh counter, the ability magically appears out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. The ability was always there. Sure. It just doesn't do anything until it gets a seven couch. So the timestamp is still tied to the original event of it entering the battlefield. And that is kind of counterintuitive because, you know, folks yes. are they're paying costs, they're well, adding the, things. The classic one that most people have trouble with is a uh, kite sail apprentice and mage bane armor. Right. Kite sail apprentice it gets, flying, gets no. flying if it's equipped. Mage bane armor as part of its effect makes it lose flying. Right. Um, so the question is then, does it have flying if it's right. equipped with the Mage Bane armor? So going by what we just said, the timestamp of the Kite Sail Apprentice is set when it enters the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Even though it's ability that says if it's equipped, blah, blah, blah. It's not like the ability, I mean, the ability takes effect when it becomes equipped, but the timestamp is still back when it came in. Right, right. Whereas the Mage Bane armor's timestamp is set when it becomes equipped. Because that's when it starts applying to the creature. Okay. Well, we have another question here from Itrillion. Itrillion, Itrillion is it's really her name. I have his name. no clever joke. Okay. Other than... But my first question was, is Itrillion your name? Is Itrillion... Okay, I'm done with that question, that pun. I'm... Not funny. <laughs> okay. You are not LSV doing set reviews. I'm not LSV in a lot of ways. He lost a lot of steam, so I think it was around the color black that I noticed. Like he started off really strong with the puns, mm-hmm. and then when he got to the third one, black, like it just fell off. Like the puns fell off into an abyss of sorts. Just yeah, that was a pretty good one. Okay. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> so. Itrillion asks, at the pre-release, I wanted a good way to not forget my rebounded cards. So after my rebound spells resolve... Didn't we talk about this, Eric? The thing is, I was wrong. I was totally wrong. We talked about this at the end of the last show. Uh-huh. 
And we talked about it saying that, well, you know, I guess if it's clear to both players, you can put the card on top because you're both communicating about it. You both know what's going to happen and you're not going to confuse it for something revealed to Oracle's Moldiah or, or, you know, Vampire Nocturnus or anything like that. That's what I said at the last show. Uh-huh. Well, Scott Marshall came in and said, uh, no, don't do that. Okay. So it's technically not allowed. Don't put the card on top of the library. You can put something up there to remind you that it's up there. And if you if you follow discussion on IRC, Sean, mm-hmm. actually I've noticed you're on there more often. Yeah, in the last little while I've been on there more. But most of us are just like, look, if it's regular REL, sure, don't don't be a hard ass. Uh huh. Yeah, that's... and like I I I still think your point of if they're not confused, don't bother them. Right, at regular REL, but don't try this at a PTQ. Yeah. You know, you stagger shock something in a PTQ. And as a judge, I think it's all right to mention mention it to them. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, you know, like if you were to go to a PTQ or maybe perhaps you would like to use a die instead. Yeah. But yeah. you don't want to be like, the rules say this. You can't do that. Like, <laughs> get that card off your library. Well, I wanted to clarify it, though, because the difference is there. It, it can be important. I mean, depending on the judge that they get, that, you know, their opponent comes up to them, if it actually leads to a confusing situation, I mean, that would be pretty awkward. So I want to make sure that people know that don't do that in a PTQ and don't tell them I told you to. Um, yeah. Not just covering my own ass, but also making sure that <laughs> <laughs> they actually abide by what they should be doing. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think the point is, as the net rep, Scott Marshall's responsibility is to tell us or whoever asks questions what the letter of the law is. And then as judges at our own events, it's our job to interpret how useful that letter is Mm -hmm. as opposed to the spirit of people having fun playing magic. Okay. And I've, I've been running this experiment at my local shop, you know, not, not saying anything about it and just watching them. And pretty much everyone puts it on top of the library. There's no confusion there. I ask them why sometimes they're like, oh, because I forgot one time and this is the easiest way to remember. Sure. Uh, it's not the end of the world. But yes, okay. the letter of the law is don't put it on your library. Mm-hmm. The rebound spell. Okay. Well, we have two more rules questions. And <clears throat> I think we tend to get these sorts of weird vintage questions. Oh, no. Now, this, is, this isn't so bad as before, but I want to cover you know all the formats that our listeners are, are asking about, and Vintage is one of them. So uh, somebody here has a question about Sylvan Library and oh, Ubermask. Oh, no. It's Sylvan Library. I, we did Sylvan Library already, Sean. We did it with Bra- Brainstorm, sure. <laughs> we did it with Toby, and he was just like... That card doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, but this is actually not that complicated a question, but it's something someone asked me, but Uba Mask. Sylvan Library with Uba Mask. Now, let's go with the Oracle text of Sylvan Do you Library. like saying that name? Uba Mask. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool name. Okay. So, Sylvan Library, let me just read the Oracle text for you, wow. so that way we'll get that out of the way Do first. Do we have another hour? To read that oracle text. You know, it's actually very simple. <laughs> it's at the beginning of your draw step. You may draw two additional cards. If you do, choose two cards in your hand drawn this turn. Uh, for each of those cards, pay for life or put the card on top of your library. That's all. That's all it says. <laughs> it's really not that scary. Don't be afraid of the library, Ricky. Okay? 
So with Ubermask in play, Ubermask says that when you're drawing things, you, instead you exile them. Yeah, if a player would draw a card, that player exiles that card face up instead. Mm-hmm. Each player may play cards he or she exiled with Ubermask this turn. Right. So Ubermask is replacing the draw with exiling the card and putting it face up. So mm-hmm. what this player wants to know is, is Sylvan Library essentially letting me get away with drawing these couple extra cards and not having to pay the life to put them back? Yes. Absolutely. That's because actually Sylvan the Library neat. mentions what cards you've drawn this turn. Right. right. And unless you've drawn other cards this turn somehow, which you could do from Brainstorm, I guess. But unless you've drawn other cards this turn without Uba Mask being you know, on the battlefield, then you've got all these cards that are being exiled instead of being drawn. So when Sylvan Library says, well, give me a couple cards that you've drawn this turn. You say, well, I didn't draw any. I didn't draw any. What are you talking about? You know, stupid I library. The yeah. original kind of combo people liked with this was um, the green enchantment where you name land or non-land. What was that called? Oh, Abundance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Abundance. is that also awesome. replaces your draw with this little shell game of land, non-land. Yeah. yeah. That's also a great way to avoid getting milled, is, is having that card in play. Because if you would draw, you say, ah, you know, land. And, oh, I can't draw land. Oh, well. You know what's another great way to avoid being milled? Any of these legendary Eldrazi. Oh, my God. Yeah, but they're still, they're still triggered, and you can still, you know... Get that Felden's cane, not Felden's cane, one well, of Tormod's Crypt. You get the Tormod's Crypt in there, you know, with if their trigger on the stack. <laughs> but if you're trying to mill someone and you're like, aha, like five, four, three, two, oh, and we're cool. But anybody <laughs> who runs a respectable mill deck should at least be running something that, like, well, now, that. well, even, even before, I think you would still, because there's plenty of things that, like, Guy's Blessing and other things. One of my favorite cards, by the way, Guy's Blessing. Yes, awesome card. Um, Meh. That's your opinion. <laughs> that is my opinion. <laughs> okay. Spelled M-E-H-H. All right. Nine. Well, S-I-G-H for that. Um, less I. Less I. We have one last question here. And this one is fun. This one is one of the most interesting questions we've had in a while. But I don't believe it's you. just because it's about an interesting card. And it really just is asking, here's the card. Tell me how this works. I'm about I, to throw I don't... my hands up in the air again. I can feel it. Okay, drum roll. Eye of the Storm. Oh, no. Eye oh. of the Storm. Bill from Florida has built a blue-black deck based around Eye of the Storm and Instance. He wants to create well, some yeah, you're chaos. not going to play that card with creatures. <laughs> well, you can play it with sorceries, though. It works really well with sorceries, too. Okay. It triggers off of a sorcery. So, oh, I have the Storm. <laughs> I have the Storm is an awesome card. Bill, I, I respect you for trying to make a deck about this card. Um, and Oh, just please no hive mind or anything like that. <laughs> no, he just wants to know... What happens? Well, first off, how does it work normally? And then the second part is he doesn't even know how the card works. <laughs> no offense, but if you're going to play it a bit, well, I mean, they've kind of been. It sounds like they've kind of been doing the fake it till you make it routine <laughs> okay. with this, with this so far. This and is they, like people, you know, judge, 
uh, how I got this combo deck. How do I win? <laughs> right, right. We used to run into this with Mirror Entity and Body Double and uh, Revelark all the time. Where well, they're Steve's, like, "Oh, I got these in Steve my Steve Satan. In. Right. When he won the the Legacy GP, like the first round, he didn't know how to win. Right. Can you imagine that? Like with with Matt Nass, like with the Elf combo, being like, "I've got these elves. I guess I win now." Yeah. Like, no, not going to happen. Like, I've got a loop. <laughs> uh, show me. I don't but know how. Well, it, as long as it doesn't involve Elvis Visionary a whole bunch of times. Yeah, so you, did you hear that that's going to be an FNM foil? I did. I did. That's for June. Yeah. For June, it's the FNM. And, and for May this this month, it is uh, Cloud Post. I don't understand that. I really hope they print it in like Scars of Mirrodin or something, or have another Locus in Scars of Mirrodin. Yeah. That would be awesome. But both of these cards are commons. Like, wasn't isn't it traditionally uncommons for FNM? As long as it, the card's cool, I don't really care how rare it is. You're trying to change the subject, though. It's back cloud, to Eye of the is, Storm, is Ricky. Is Cloud Post cool? Eye of the Storm, Ricky. We're going back to Eye of the Storm. You cannot take me there away from that with a Cloud Post, okay? We're going back to Eye of the Storm. We're going to deal with this card. Face uh, your fears. I'm not afraid of it. Okay, well then, you should be fine. It's more, it's more like... It's not fear, it's... It's anger, hatred, dark side. Okay, well, well, let's let's you be the Sith and I'll be the Jedi, and we'll we'll go through this. Okay, forever will it dominate my destiny. Okay, so I'm player Jedi, you're player Sith. I control Eye of the Storm. Okay? I hate you. <laughs> We've established this. So, okay, Eye of the Storm is on the battlefield, and say it's. The Sith's main main face, okay? Okay. Okay. And the Sith is like, I hate Eye of the Storm. This is a terrible card. I'm going to play Purify to get rid of Eye of the Storm. It's a terrible card. So you play Purify, okay? Well, what happens when you play Purify? Well, I've cast a spell, so this ability triggers. You don't just cast a spell. You cast an instant or sorcery, so the ability triggers. Uh, I exile it. You exile Purify. Okay, so it's no longer on the stack, and it's not that actual card, the spell that you cast is exiled. Right, and it's not going to be the thing that ever resolves. It's not going to resolve at all. It's exiled by Eye of the Storm. So Then, that player, that's me, copies each instant or sorcery card exiled with Eye of the Storm. Let's assume that this is the only one, just for the sake of simplicity. Sweet. Okay, I, I copy my whatever enchantment removal. You copied Purify. Okay. Copy Purify. Is really an enchantment? It's, it destroys all artifacts and enchantments. You copy it, and then you can cast those copies in any order. So you're just going to have the one to copy, the one to cast, so you can do that. Now, the things that we need to know about how those three pieces work, exiling it, copying it, and casting the copies. Um, so they all happen as part of the resolution of the trigger. So you're not going to be able to... You know, intervene somehow in the resolution of that between casting all of these different copies of all the different spells that are exiled. I just realized something. Mm -hmm. So you cast a spell, mm -hmm. this triggers, sure. do all the exile shenanigans, and then it copies the card, mm -hmm. and you can cast the copy. Right. So you're double casting. So if you have Cascade... Ooh. If you cast a Cascade Instant or Sorcery into Eye of the Storm, that's neat. You Cascade twice. That's pretty awesome. That's insane. That's that's yeah. Luckily there aren't. What the heck? Okay. Well, let's get let's get some combo deck builder on on the phone with that and get them started on that project. But 
aside from Cascade, Eye of the Storm, how this works here. So we've got all of these copies that we're casting all at once in the resolution of the trigger. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to cast everything that's been exiled by the storm, just whatever ones you want to. Uh, yes, you may cast. Right. Okay. So you can't hold on until later on in the turn. You've got to cast them then. And you choose the order that they're cast in, but you also need to be able to cast them. So, for instance, um, there's, say, a spell like, uh, like Tears of Rage that says you can only play this on the Declare Attacker step. You can't play that right. when... I the storm is resolved. And it only uh, circumvents mana cost. Right. So, so if you have Shrapnel Blast where you have to sacrifice an artifact, right. there's an additional cost. You still need to that gets that. worse because you would have to sacrifice an artifact twice to get right. your first Shrapnel Blast. And you just wouldn't do it, though. You just, that's, you'd never play Shrapnel Blast with something like that. But. So we, we go. So that's, that's one aspect of it. Um, you do need to pay yeah, additional costs, right? We talked about that. Um, you can't play alternate costs either. You can't pay alternate costs. So, for instance, um, you, you're just you're doing well. It this itself is an alternate cost. Paying without uh, casting it without paying its mana cost is an alternate cost. Right, but you're not going to go in and say, "Well, I'm going to cast my Force of Will copy by removing a blue card in my hand and paying one life." How would you do that? It's free. If you needed to remove a blue card in your hand somehow, if you were getting hit by some Natsuki owl or something, who knows? You know? Okay. Um, Ebony owl Natsuki or something like that. You you, you had some, some problem like that. You wanted to get cards out of your hand. You couldn't do it with alternate costs or some other, other means like that. Now that we have that situated, that's half of this question about Eye of the Storm. I, Eye of the Storm is so amazing. I couldn't even gather up the energy to throw my arms up in the air. I just my jaw dropped when you said half. Well, what happens if I want to counter your purify? I want to save my eye of the storm. How do I do that? Do so it. you want to respond to the triggered ability by countering Aha. purify. So if I do that, then there's a counter spell under Eye of Storm. Right. And then you cast the copy, counter the purify. Right. And then it's countered and goes to the graveyard. Right. And then the triggered ability, the original trigger for Purify resolves and says, hey, exile you. And it can't because it's no longer around. However, even if that's countered, the rest of the trigger on Eye of the Storm will still resolve. So he gets a useless counterspell. Right. (laughs) It's kind of a weird thing that you can even, you, you get the rest of the spells even though your original gets countered. Because there's no if you do clause on Eye of the Storm. Oh my god. I just looked at the gatherer, the rulings on gatherer for Eye of the Storm. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so lot. Interesting, interesting stuff. Eye of the Storm is an amazing card, so fantastic. Uh, good question, Bill. Um, we generally don't like to have a ton of corner cases, but Eye of the Storm is its own corner case. If you want to know more about that corner case, send us a message on Facebook, and we'll give you... Or email us. us. Or email us. And how do they email us, Ricky? Send a carrier pigeon? kind of electronic thing. Yeah. It's it's a series of tubes. Oh, I like those tubes. Yeah. The vacuum ones where you, like, put the thing in and it goes... Sucks it out and... Yeah, they have those. I, I, I was in a place that, that, uh, that had a bunch of those little messenger tubes running throughout the building. It was kind of a neat, neat system. In, in my 
in my imagination, Star City, the home office has those. Oh, for like sending little like, yeah. you know, we need something from Urza Saga. Like that's in level four <laughs> of the basement. You know, send us those cards, Ricky. Okay. And like and you, have you get your card hat on and you go down the mine shaft. you get on the you. phone and it's one of those ones where you have to crank the phone. Like, oh, that's right. Crank and, it. And everybody sounds like Charlie Brown's mom on the other side <laughs> of it. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I'm sure that's not what it's like at all. It's a series of tubes <laughs> run by gnomes. <sighs> all those weird gnomes out in Roanoke. Okay. Well, <laughs> enjoy your time with them. <laughs> so, we've answered all of our rules questions. Do you want to get into choosing a contest winner here? Because we only have a few entries. Well, then it should be simple. Okay. Let's pause the recording. We'll choose a contest winner, and then we'll uh, come back and explain who won and why. So, our entries are thus. At his first FNM, after a 12-year lapse, Adrian borrowed a Snow White deck from a player at his local game store, and basically the deck had just been thrown together. Um, it ran Martyr of Sands, a Johnny Goldmane, a bunch of stuff like that. Basically gains a ton of life and kills somebody with the Avatar token that Johnny Goldmane makes. And it felt a little weird because he drew a Johnny a whole bunch in the first match that he was sitting in. So after he handed in his results slip, he looks back through his deck to see what's in there, you know, how many copies he's running, because it seems like he's drawn a whole bunch of them. There's no problem with them, just four Johnny Goldmains. But he found eight Dawn Charms. So two play sets of the same card. <laughs> so this is a deck somebody else said, here, just play this, I built it, and he just takes it sight unseen, plays it, and realizes later on, after round one, there are eight of a card in there. So, uh, ironically, he hasn't actually played any of them. So he called the judge over to help figure out what to do. And he says he doesn't know policy, uh, but here's how it was handled. I received a match loss for the first round. And I replaced the extra Dawn Charms with basic lands of my choice. Wow. Let's just talk about this one for a minute here. What, uh... <laughs> match loss for Adrian, huh? What's uh, the REL? Uh, this is an FNM. Are there deck lists? Mm, no deck lists. Mm. So, yeah. Um, you shouldn't have gotten that match loss, buddy. Sorry to say this now, Adrian from Massachusetts. Um, yeah, match loss was not the right call. Um, the what's, game's got played. What's the infraction? Infraction is an illegal deck list. Because we're not using deck lists, we're using the player's deck as constructed as the list because it's a regular rules enforcement level event with no deck lists. So your deck is your deck list, and it's got eight copies of a card in it, so that card isn't a basic land, so it's an illegal deck list. Mm -hmm. So that's a game loss. Right. That game loss, because it was discovered between rounds here, should have been applied to the next match that you played in. But you can't go back and change history. can't go back and change the match that you just won uh, into a loss. Um, and that's may maybe not totally right by your opponent that you played in that match, but it's not right to go back and change the match after you've turned in the slip and it's already happened. 
Well, this is uh, this comes up sometimes, like even between game one and two of a match. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say we finish game one, and then as I pick up my deck to start sideboarding, I notice that I had forgotten to de-sideboard mm-hmm. in game one. Right. And I call a judge. Sure. What, what do you do? Well, now you can get into sideboarding, but you had an illegal deck list. Or I'm sorry, you had a deck deck list mismatch. Not necessarily an illegal deck list, but a deck deck list mismatch. Now, are we saying that you're, because you've sideboarded for your first game of the match, and we're saying this is round some round later than the first Mm-hmm. Because if it's in the first round, then, well, you've got a sideboarded deck, and that's the deck you're playing with every every game now. Well, even at a PTQ where you have a deck list. Okay, say, say you have a deck list, then. Um, if you have a deck list, and you, the deck didn't match that in the first game, you discover that after the fact, the infraction still occurred. You still have the deck deck list mismatch that happened there. What's your evidence of the infraction? The player being honest and saying, this is what I did. What's your evidence of the infraction? Did you witness an infraction? Did anyone witness an infraction? Oh, I see what you're saying. So no, actually, there is no inf- I mean, there's no infraction that you can actually penalize. You're, the first game is already over. We're in the act of sideboarding. Yeah, you can't go back and say, hey, you lost that, ma- that game, and you can't you apply can't even, a game loss to it. You, you can't, can't even yeah. definitively prove it. I mean, yes, Even he's probably being honest and saying, I forgot to sideboard these out, but right. maybe like he's one of these guys who shuffles his sideboard into his... And takes the 15 well, out. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Maybe he started to do this and like something distracted him and he looked down and it, it doesn't really matter. Like once the game ends, the game ends. Yeah. And we're not going to... Like if you find your 60th card on the ground after the game ends... And, and you count your deck, and there's only 59. Right. We're not going to go back and change that right. first game. And all this is assuming it's not intentional. Yeah. I mean, you because intentionally. We, we don't know how that fifth, that 60th right. card ended up on the ground. Okay. Like maybe it just happened while you, when you picked up your deck, or maybe it's been there all along. We we don't really know, and we don't care. Right. At that point. The game got played. Okay. Um, so th- this is you. You apply the same thing, like. Maybe he went to the bathroom and his friend, as a joke, stuck four more Dawn Charms in. Or, or whatever. <laughs> like, invent your wacky scenario. The point is that you're not going to go back, as you said, and change the outcome. Right. Okay. But in terms of continuing the tournament, you're right. He does still have an illegal deck that has eight copies of a card. So you make it a legal deck by replacing the illegal cards with basic lands. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's... So there was a game loss would be applied in the next round. Right. So the fix was half right, but pretty bad in this situation. So Adrian, that's your, I mean, players, you should study these documents yourself, the infraction procedure guide and the magic tournament rules. So, you know, these things, um, but I mean, if you're, if you're not familiar with them, I would say to the judge, you know, could you please show me, the infraction and the, the prescribed penalty. Yeah, but we don't want to encourage people to be dicks either. 
Especially no, not two other judges. But why is this being a dick? No, it's not being. It just. I think that if every it, that's not the sort of service that that basically you pull up the IPG for every. Like if you, you if a cop pulled you over and said, "I'm giving you a ticket for, you know, wearing that blue baseball cap." Would you just say thank you, officer, for my ticket, or would you say, "Show me, can you show me that law?" Like, well, that's what an appeal's for, though. That's why. That's why you can go to court and contest your ticket. That's also why you can appeal to the head judge. Okay, but there's no, there's no process for that in the DCI. It's called the appeal process. You, you say, you say, you know, I'd like to appeal that ruling. I disagree with it. This is F and There's only one judge, the head judge, right? Okay. Well, and in that case, if then, you then, find out afterwards by listening to Judge Cass that that guy was wrong, no one's going to go back and change that result. Of course not. But you, you still don't want to be – don't be a jerk about it by saying, you know, well, you know, you gave me this game loss. Show me. Like it needs to be much more of a – you know, I'm not really sure that that's the case. Or can you be what, sure What's about wrong with just can you please show me in the IPG? I think that – You'd have, I mean, showing you in the IPG is fine. That's, you know, I mean, a lot of us have it on our PDAs or some other other way of, of bringing up the IPG real quickly. Um, but I, I mean, so often these stories we hear about these quote-unquote rogue judges, no, they're true. just making stuff up. They're making up infraction names. They're making up penalties. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, there's, I, only, I, what, there's only one match loss in the entire book, right? Am mm-hmm. I right? Yeah. Uh, other than upgrade situations at yeah. this point, I think. Yeah. Well, and granted, this was a this is back when Snow White was a legal standard deck, so the it might have been too. Yeah, the IPG is different then, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, it's still. You're right. It's still something to to confirm. To somebody needs to step up and say this is really what it is. Hmm. Okay. At, at a certain point, I think players need to hold judges accountable. Especially when you're talking about people who are most likely not certified judges. Okay. Right? Yes, actually, that's, that's a, a great at educational a, at tool. At a PTQ, I think you have a lot more faith in your judging staff, mm-hmm. and you're willing to accept things. Yeah. Um, well, I remember. I remember that's you know. I mean, as a judge, you, you tend to remember your screw ups pretty well. Um, and I think you know when I was running. I think back to when I was first started running F and M's. Um, I remember I blew a call about protection. Uh, protection from artifacts and uh, and equipment or so, something along those lines, and it actually decided the outcome of a match. I mean, granted, it was just an F and M, but I knew both of the players, and they were regulars for us here. Right. And, so I see what you're saying. Like your point about don't be a dick is like, don't go nitpicking every single ruling your judge makes. Sure, but when, when you actually do, you yeah. you're getting a match loss. I think you want to know why. Okay, that's that's completely fair. Absolutely. Um, and just to close the loop on that story there, when I did screw that up, um, you know, I f- found out probably 20 minutes too late that I had screwed it up, um, mm-hmm. went back to the players um, and actually you know, apologized to them uh, and said, you know, I can't change the result. This is what it is. Um, but for, you know, for bearing with me through this, uh, you know, give you we actually came up with the Sportsmanship Award card. Uh, for oh, this, sure, sure. we actually take some crap foil and like the judge signs it and says, you know, thanks for being such a good sport. Um, we also do it for bad sportsmanship too. We have Bloodstoke Howlers for that that we give out for. That's um, cute. Yeah, it's the bad sportsmanship award. Which well, do remember to... my my the first PTQ I head judged mm-hmm. the top nine, right? 
Yes. Where I started announcing the top eight, and to be cute, I said in no particular order, and that no particular order accidentally went all the way down to ninth place. Right. And so I had to apologize and say, I'm sorry, this person is not in the top eight, and kind of dream crush him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I apologized, and for putting up with my mistake, I gave him a foil card, and... Yeah. You know, now, now we're very, you know, not good friends, but we are very friendly to each other. Sure. So it all worked out. Sure. Yeah, actually, this, the people that I penalize the worst are I find later on. I'm, I'm actually friends with them, or I'll, they'll be like more respectful at a tournament, and they'll like, you know, we'll just nod or wave more than I will with another player that I may know better. Mm-hmm. Just like you know, if I gave a guy a game loss before, he remembers me, and I remember him. And as long as you do it right, there's a mutual respect there that you know you can actually. Uh, you know, they learn a lot from it, you learn from it, and it's actually a much better thing afterward. And that's another, is the learning opportunity, like, mm-hmm. is why I say ask to see the documents, because that's a chance for you to learn and actually look at the thing and, and read a little bit about and if what it's you a, did. If it's an uncertified judge, too, it's another opportunity for them to really get into it and, and you know, correct it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's a really, uh, thanks, Adrian, for that story. Um that's interesting. Thank you for that entry. Top, top nine. Yeah. <laughs> so we have another story here from Noah, uh, and I think you'll probably reject this one pretty quickly, but I think I should mention it anyway. Uh, Noah says that his opponent played a slaughter pact, and he put Noah actually put a die on his opponent's deck to, rem- okay. to remind him uh, the same way that it was. You know, the, the, I think it's Nakamura that did that. Um, no, it's Kenji. Is it? it's, it's Kenji. It's Kenji. It's Kenji. This Samura. is this is this has now been attributed to Shuhei Nakamura by uh-huh. Tomoharu Saito by many <laughs> many people. It was Kenji Tsumura. Okay, um, and he actually did it again. I mean, yeah. the story is from GP like Montreal uh-huh. Time Spiral Block Constructed. Okay. Well, at the PTQ, he just won a PTQ. Mm-hmm. I think for Amsterdam, Kenji did in Japan. Sure. And he was doing this again, and not just stopping his opponent and reminding them. He was actually putting the marker on their library for them. So don't forget about your pact. Right. Well, anyway, this guy forgot it, flicked the die off, drew his card without paying the mana, and still lost the game. So okay. <laughs> Noah says basically, I, I won the game, but my opponent didn't catch it in time, so... I don't know if that's really calling a judge to not your benefit because I don't think it worked out that well. But um, I think, yeah, let's get this die off my leg. I want my card. <laughs> but, but, but you're packed. Bah, packed. Needs those. Okay. Well, let's go on to another question about calling or another, another story about calling a judge on yourself. Uh, let's see. Trison says he's halfway through a PTQ. And eating, um, he just got he just got a candy bar. He's very hungry. Got a candy bar, and a friend of his asked while he was eating this candy bar. Does asked, he say what kind of candy? He bar? does not say what kind of candy bar. It had chocolate in it though, because later on he says, a friend of mine asked to see my Vesuvian shapeshifters, and okay, then he goes back to his game after he gets his cards back, and his opponent tries to target his face down shapeshifter before. It actually came into play. So he's basically he says, "I'm casting my shapeshifter. I'm morphing my guy. You know, playing him, playing him face down, and his opponent's trying to target him with like terror or something like that." 
like before it comes into play. Trying, so there's some miscommunication on if the spell's on the stack or if it's a creature in, in the battlefield or at where that comes in. And instead of letting them just work this out, he actually calls a judge over and says, you know, we need to work this communication out, but let's have a judge here to, to deal with this. Or, or you could... <laughs> so while, while the judge is listening to him, he notices something on the back of the shapeshifter, which is chocolate stains, like little pieces of candy bar on the back of those. And they're nearly the same color as the sleeves, because you know, black sleeves. So the players didn't notice, but he looked through the rest of the deck and found that all of the shapeshifters had the chocolate on them. It's like some bad cartoon where the kid's just like dripping chocolate, you know? Right. Now, he says he's lucky and he only got a game loss and was told to replace those sleeves. Um, Is that correct? I think that's the right call. <laughs> I mean... The infraction. Right. Yeah. Unless unless I'm really suspicious and being like, hmm, you know, you you bought that Snickers and you defaced your cards because you knew you wanted to know where these shapeshifters were in your deck. Like... Maybe, but no, I don't think so. I don't think I I would be getting into the uh, investigation phase with him. So, um, so the infraction is marked cards, marked cards, no right. longer pattern, no pattern. Just right. Although this one, in this case, an upgrade because the fact that the four shapeshifters are marked, right, and they're an important card to the deck, and yeah, it's a pretty obvious sort of thing. Um, yeah, definitely upgrade that to a game loss, but, uh, okay. So Trison calls himself, calls on himself there. Uh, we have one more entry here that's worth noting. And that is, uh, from Josh and Josh says a few weeks ago, he's at a Naya, he's at a semi big tournament playing a Naya deck and he keeps his starting hand and draws his first card, and it's a foil Bloodbraid Elf. Well, Josh doesn't own any foil Bloodbraid Elves. This is somebody else's card that he's just drawn in his, after his opening hand, his first draw of the, of the game. And he realizes... Uh, I would just be like, sweet, my card <laughs> upgraded itself. The right. magic fairies, uh-huh. the deck fairy smiles upon me. Well, then you'd be a jerk. <laughs> I just expect my cards to become magically foil sometimes. Right, you're just good enough that they just do it on their own. Um, so, so Josh here says, you know, he realizes that oh, I, I had O-ringed my opponent's Bloodbraid Elf in the last game. Oh, it was a foil okay. one, and that okay, I must have. Uh, you know, we have similar sleeves. I must have just shoveled it in here. So he, he immediately stops what he's doing, calls into the drover, explains what happened, and he gets a game loss for it because he's got, you know. An illegal deck. It's a deck that it's a card that's not his, you know, and it's he's got probably five bloodbraid elves in there now, including this one. Um, so he gets a game loss for that, um, but he runs it over to What's his the REL. Uh, this is at a semi-big tournament. I'm going to guess competitive REL. Okay. Um, you know, he runs it over to the guy that's, and, and luckily, his opponent from the last round is still shuffling up for the start of the first game, so. You know, he he hands it off to him, and he's able to do this, and and you know, get his sixtieth card into his deck, and eventually, actually, it sounds like that guy made top eight, took third place, um, and Josh says he really doesn't care that he had a game loss; just wanted to make sure nobody else got one because of my my idiot move here. 
When did he say he drew it? First, first draw of the first game. Mm. So it's conceivable that at that point you could have some games that are still shuffling within the three minutes and other games that are just getting started. I, I was just exploring the downgrade possibilities. Mm. Well, because he called the judge on himself, he called it right away. Right, but yeah. the, so it's a deck deckless mismatch. The prescribed downgrade. Well, it's probably an illegal deckless too, but. Uh, oh no! I guess we're not looking at his list here. We're looking at his deck. So deck deckless mismatch. You're right. You're right. Continue. Upon drawing an opening hand. Yeah, this is the first card of this is his eighth card down. Was the mm-hmm. blood raid elf? It's yeah. I mean, it, because the uh, improper draw at start of the game. Right. Infraction includes the first draw. Ooh. Right. But, yeah, and, no, but in no, this no. case, I think it's deck deckless mismatch specifically says opening hand. So I think yeah. we have to stop it at that. Well, and and I remember that's um, you know when when I ran into the same well, situation. I, I think improper draw deals with if the person on the play draws a card. So implying nothing right. has been played yet. Right. Well, and that that was one of the things that we ran into with Patrick Chapin at Pro Tour San Diego, was where he. You know, realized after he had already you know played Alamar Deaths that his opening hand did have one of his sideboard cards in it. Called the judge over. That judge happened to be me. Well, he still got a game loss because he had made a play. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, that that first turn was still going on. But you know, and even if that card was in his opening hand, too bad. That's that's still. I keep hearing Pat Chafin stories from San Diego. Like he kept running into judges. Yeah, and kept making mistakes, but he made top fifty, right? I believe he did. I think you know qualified. It's one of those things where uh, you somehow he overcame all of these run-ins. <laughs> well, I mean, he got a game. Yeah, he got a game loss there. I remember he won that match also. Um, in fact, if you re- if you look back at well, the, actually, uh, he, he that that was the breakout for the blue white Jace deck. Right. It was, yeah, it was his his blue white Jace deck. Yeah, that, that he so and well. Nassif and maybe Herbert Holtz went on like some insane run. Yeah, I, I, he even though he lost the first game of that match, I watched him win it. But um, in fact, if if you remember back to the Magic Show for one of the, the Evan Irwin's show for one of the Pro Tour San Diego episodes, it starts off with the Battle of the Cowboy Hats. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, one one of Ikeda. the right. His opponent was the Brazilian cowboy hat guy. Oh. Um, so different, but uh, anyway. So that's <sighs> yeah. So that's that's the, those are your four stories. You've got Josh returning the Bloodbraid Elf. You've got somebody screwing up a pact, and Noah saying, "Ah, too bad." Um, <laughs> you've got Trison. Uh, what did Trison do again? What did Tristan do? Oh, the chocolate stains. <laughs> yeah. Chocolate stains. Well, good for So Tristan. none of these well, really I, fit what we were looking for. Yeah, I think people just didn't like your question. It wasn't my question. Well, okay, maybe we should ask Kelly for, Reed's question. We should ask for Kelly, send us that draft set back. <laughs> <laughs> what the, I, is the problem here that stories like... That what we were looking for are not memorable, maybe? Because I think what we wanted was like, oh, we've got this rules dispute, and I think it works one way. 
you think it works another way and we call mm-hmm. a judge and then it turns out it works a third way that completely like bones us or something like that. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, that maybe it just doesn't happen enough. Maybe not. Okay. Well, so we had four, four people, four people here. Adrian Let's, with the, uh, with the, the match. Loss I want to get rid of my shards stuff. Let's just give them all draft sets. Really? Even the guy that just sent us the, the, the packed story? He tried. He, he tried, but, I mean, okay. Okay. I'm, okay. They're my, they're my they're packs, your packs to, to give, give away. away. Okay, well, then. We, look, we need to get to Zendikar. Okay, well, then we'll, we'll give away four draft sets then. Wow. I think we found our title episode title. Ricky gives away a third of a box. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, that's actually fantastic. Now, do we want to pick a contest question for next time? Because we had somebody send us, like, he's going to get, like, three or four draft sets from you because he sent us so many good questions. Yes, let's pick a new. Okay, Ricky. We have chosen a new contest winner. The new question that you should send your answers to um, you should send your answers to judgecast at gmail.com. The new question is, tell us the story of a judge handling something in a way that made you think, wow, I had totally not thought of that. Or, wow, that's cool. So we're looking for interesting rulings or, or if a judge has explained to you on how to use Eye of the Storm correctly and you thought that was an awesome thing, tell us about those things. So, no. Don't tell us about Eye of the Storm. Okay, don't tell us about Eye of the Storm. Tell us about other things, though. So that's here. Let me give my. Okay, give us an example for our listeners to beat. So we've heard of the legendary uh, Grand Prix bag thieves. Yes, from last year. That and is how how they were captured. I don't think people are going to beat this story. But this is this okay. But but let's tell it anyway. Because it bears, it bears. So there was a ring of thieves, or alleged thieves. I don't know what phase of the trial they're in, but in all of our hearts, these are the guys. Yeah. Um, and they were, they knew who they were, kind of, but they were trying to catch them in the act. So judges were watching these guys at a at a tournament, and when one of them did the whole like pull a bag from out under someone's chair with his foot or whatever and pick it up. I think James Elliott was the first one on the scene. He was watching this guy, and he was like, you stop there, you know, his Scottish accent. Right. Stop, stop, judge, judge. Uh, and the guy, you know, breaks for it uh-huh. and runs into a brick wall known as Adam Shaw. <laughs> Which, if you've ever seen Adam, uh, he's not to be trifled with. He is yeah. on, on the order of Sheldon in terms of don't trifle with me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, Yes. Adam is, yeah. Not. And Adam tackled him <laughs> to the ground. Right. Yes, he he, he saved the day, um, stopped so this that, guy. And, that's and, a little unusual in itself, right? You don't right. see a judge tackle someone every day. Well, and we actually don't encourage it either. We don't right. encourage that sort of behavior among judges. If you see a thief and they're running, I think we can encourage it maybe. Uh, that's getting into some dangerous liability territory. Okay. JudgeCast does not sanction the tackling of players <laughs> in any way, shape, or form, nor thieves, do our hosts thieves. sanction the tackling of players in any way, shape, or form, nor do any future past or present sponsors, facilitators, helpers, 
volunteers. Are you uh, done with your little legal disclaimer? I'm just that scares the crap out of me. <laughs> like, like if the guy had broken his neck, that would be a, like a terrible, terrible sort of lawsuit sort of thing. I, I, I don't even know where that would. Have been. I've been told it's not because he was committing a crime. But Adam is not. I mean, Adam Shaw may be the law as far as we're concerned, but he's not the law, really. I mean, he is, but not not really. I don't want to hear these stories about like thieves breaking into a house and then suing the homeowner because yeah, that hurts. I'm not saying that. I mean, that's that's well, ridiculous. That's but, like that makes America dumber. Well, we are all dumber for those of course, kinds of but, lawsuits. But I just want to make sure that people don't get the idea that you know judges are there as security guards, like. Like that's what police and security guards are for. Well, they were there too, right? That's Every- that's their job. <laughs> like, okay, but that's not the part of the like that in itself. Like we're, is we're there to uh, we're there to mediate things, like okay. to, to make things go. Can smooth. I continue now? I'll shut up. Go the ahead. The part of the story that I found particularly like I never would have thought of that. And I don't even know if this is true or if he just made it up after the fact to sound cool. But the head judge of the tournament, Jason Ness supposedly came over to the thief and while Adam is like quote unquote sitting on him or whatever, like they've got him on pinned to the ground. Sure. Jason walks up to him and says, we've been watching you. (laughs) And maybe like some other comment about like, you're going to the slammer or something like that. I don't know if it's true, but I can see Jason saying that. So are you going to discourage this? Um, One-liners on making fun of thieves? No, I'm not going to discourage one-liners. <laughs> you, you can go all, you know, yippee whatever. That's fine. But that is a, a way that a judge handled something that I would not have expected. So if you have a story like that, <laughs> then tell us. And maybe you'll get a draft set or something else cool. Um, send your stories to judgecast at gmail.com and we'll get them to you. We'll get, we'll get your story on the air perhaps. With that, do we have anything else, Ricky? No. Okay. I'm hungry. I want some froyo. So you've done it. You've wasted another hour. No, you've not wasted it. You've enjoyed your hour with us. Maybe more than an hour. We'll see. I thought you were talking to me. I'm like, you sure did. <laughs> Wasted another hour uh, sitting with Sean. Well, signing off, hopefully not for the last time with Ricky at our side here. Okay, this is Sean Kennedy saying I keep it fair. Uh huh, yeah, this is Ricky Hayashi, I keep it fun. Jerk. <laughs>